Okay, Bokatov. <clears throat> Today's daf is daf Pevov in Sachem. <clears throat> daf Pevov. <clears throat> we learn for a four shleima for Tovah Miriam Bastvara Mindel. Let's see. Yesterday we got till the Toshma five lines down on the page. What was the discussion? Rav had said that the rooftops and the upper chambers, both in Yerushalayim, as far as eating Kachim Kalim, and in the chamber, upper in the rooftops of the um, uh, rooftops and the uh, of the chambers in the Azara, as far as eating kach, uh, as far as eating kachim uh, kachim, those were not sanctified. Lonis gachu. That's what he said. So we said, wait a minute, but didn't they eat? Didn't they eat on top of the rooftops? No, no, no. They ate in the they ate in their rooms in their homes or on the ground or outside whatever but they didn't eat on the rooftops they said the hollow at the rooftops i how are they allowed to leave the gemara said at the top of the page how are they allowed to leave after uh leaving one place you're not supposed to go to another place once you eat the carbon pesach you shouldn't go somewhere else and eat elsewhere he says that's only during the time when they're allowed to eat but this is after the time after midnight when they couldn't eat anymore then they were allowed to go on their rooftops and, and recite the hallow. That's what the that's what we ended off yesterday. Now we're at the fifth line, Toshma. Abishal Omer. Aliyah's base Kachek Kachim. The upper chamber of the Kachek Kachim. The Kachek Kachim is the Holy of Holies, the place where the coin guttle enters only once a year on Yom Kippur. He said the upper chambers on top of the Kachek Kachim or are chamur, they're more stringent based kashay kachim itself than the kashay kachim itself. How is that? She based kashay kachim, kohen gadol nechles lo pamach b'shana. The kashay kachim, the kohen gadol, goes in on Yom Kippur to perform the uh, special rites of Yom Kippur, including burning the ketores and sprinkling the dam between the two staves of the of the um, uh, the, the kapores, right, of the of the aron. And it says there, he goes in once a year. Va'aliyah based kashay but the chamber on top of that, the upper chamber on top, where nobody goes into once a year, when do they go in? There they only go in, once in seven years, once in Shemitah, as we'll see, just to check for maintenance purposes, to make sure there's no cracks in the walls, etc. Some say twice in seven years, some say only once every 50 years, later so you see it's even holier, the point though is, is that, is that uh, what do you see here, that the uh, in the base Kodesh Kodeshim, we say this is holy, and here on top, Aliyah's Kodeshim is even holier, so to speak. So why do you say that the Aliyah's, uh, the, the rooftops and the upper chambers were not sanctified? Here you see that on top of the base Kodeshim, you weren't even allowed to go in just for maintenance purposes, what was absolutely necessary once in seven years, twice in seven years, once in 50 years, obviously it was made holy. You weren't allowed to go in there. Um, Rav says, Rav says, no, my Hegel from the Hegel itself, Nakam Venes of Inish, we're going to ask Akasha, somebody's going to get up and ask Akasha and Rav from the Hegel. We're talking about the Azora, the outer area of the, around the Hegel. Uh, there we're talking about those rooftops or, or uh, wall, uh, tops of walls uh, and upper chambers in the Azora. We're not talking about the Hegel itself, the building itself of the base of Migdosh. Because Shani Hechel, the Chsiv, there it says, Befeirish Hashem told us. Shani Hechel says, By the Hech, Ba'itan Dovid Shlomo, David gave to Shlomo Beno his son, Estavne Saulam. He gave him the pattern, the, uh, you know, the architectural, the design of the Ulam, that's the antechamber, the porch in front of the uh, Hechel, Vesbatav, and its 
houses, meaning its rooms, and its storehouses, and its upper chambers, the inner rooms, the room of the ark cover, that's the Kodesh Kodeshim. Hashem gave that all directly to David. I gave everything to Shlomo, my son, in writing Miyad Hashem from the hand of God. Allah Hiskil, who gave me understanding of this. And as David said, Hashem got this, I got this directly from Hashem. Exactly all the rules, the patterns, all the, the entire architectural design of the Heichal, I got directly from God, including the Ulam, even the Ulam, which is the porch, the area before the Heichal, all came directly from God. So the Heichal, of course, that was sanctified, including the upper chambers. But we're talking about the upper chambers or the rooftops of Yerushalayim or of the Azara. No, those were, Rav stands his ground, those were not sanctified. Let's try to bring another proof. Toshma. The chambers, the rooms that are in the Azara that were built in, in the Kodesh, meaning in the holy area, but their doors are going out to Chol. That means outside of the Azara, outside of the Azara, outside of the Azara. So Tochen Chol, in other words, it all goes, is the room sanctified? It all depends on where the doorway leads to. If it's a doorway leading to the Chol, then what's inside is also considered Chol, is considered uh, uh, non, non-sanctified, secular, or non-sanctified. The God goes saying Kodesh, but the rooftops are holy. So you see the rooftops are holy. Rav said rooftops weren't made holy. So it's talking about These rooftops are where the rooftops were um, uh, even with the ground of the Azara. The ground of the Azara obviously was holy. And the reason why, the, when, we say, when we say the rooftops were not made holy, Rav said, those are the rooftops, you know, h- higher up, right? Rooftops or the upper chambers of the Azara or of Yerushalayim were not sanctified. But here we're talking about chambers whose roof, the t- their roof was even with the Azara. As we see that the Azara wasn't all one level, right? There were different, the Noshim went up s- steps to the uh, to the irregular Azara. And within the Azara, there were also steps leading up from the Ezra's Kohen, etc. As you well, to the Ezra's Kohen. So there were steps leading up. So they weren't all at the same level. So he says, here we're speaking about where the rooftops of these chambers were even with the floor of the Azara. Then they were sanctified. Yehochi, if that's the case, Amos Seifa, Benuyas Behold. Let's say there were chambers that were built not in the Azara, but in the uh, secular area, Upsuchas Lakodesh, and they were open up into the Kodesh, the doorway led into the Kodesh, and Tochen Kodesh, then they're considered holy. In other words, it doesn't make sense where the chamber is actually physically located. It depends on where the door leads to. If the door leads to Kodesh, it's considered Kodesh. For God goes saying, Chol. But the rooftops are now, are not, are not uh, sanctified. Understand if you're saying that the that the rooftops were even with the ground of the Azara, so then what are if the rooftops are even with the with the uh, with the Azara with the floor of the Azara? That means that the chambers themselves are underground. These are like tunnels. How can you say that if these chambers were open up into the Kodesh, the inside is Kodesh, and the Gag is Chol? But if you're saying that the top was even to the Karka, so even with the Karka, and why were they, <coughs> and their, their, uh, their rooftops were Chol? But if their, if their rooftops were even with the Azara, then the chambers themselves were ten- well, tunnels. Tunnels were never sanctified. He's talking about tunnels, in other words, chambers underground that were open to Harabais. Again, Harabais was a mountain, so the chamber, uh, the, the top level was uh, even with the Azara. But uh, since it was open to Harabais, uh, there, Rabbi Yochanan said, those are not sanctified. 
but if they were open, but if the rooms, these these underground rooms were open up to the Azara, the rooftop was indeed whole, and the, but but they themselves were Kodesh because they were opened up into the Azara. He says specifically that the that the chambers, the the underground chambers, the tunnels under the Heichal are whole. So how can you say Rabbi Yochum was talking about uh, if, if they're open to the Azara, those, that Bryce was speaking about the Azara, Rabbi Yudah said, Mechilos mitachas The answer is, That's where they're open to Chol. So the underground chambers, whether they're open to Harabayas or open to the Chol, then are Chol. But the ones that are open to the Azara are indeed Kodesh. Toshma, the same Brysa says, the Gago Kodesh. The same Brysa that says, Rabbi Yudah says, Mechilos mitachas but the rooftops are Kodesh again. So you see that the, that the rooftops were sanctified. The same Bryce says, and the rooftops of these of the Azara and you can't shech kachim kalm. In other words, in the entire Azara. Kachim kalm can be shechted anywhere in the Azara. Uh, kachim can only be eaten in the Azara. But he says these rooftops, you can't eat kachim there, and you can't shech them kachim kalm. So that means that they are not sanctified. So Elakasha Gago Kodesh. So what do you mean by Gago Kodesh? One, the same Brisa says the Gago Kodesh, right? Rashi says um, um, Rashi says that the that's the same uh, Gago Kodesh is the same is the Seifa Gago Shol Heichel the Seifa Darav Yuda the Seifa Rav Yuda says Mechilas Mitachas Heichel is Chol and the top is Kodesh. So what do you mean by that? He says, but on the other hand, you say it's Kodesh. The same Brisa says. That you can't eat there, you can't eat kachim kachim, you can't shech kachim kalim. So what does that mean? When he says gago kodesh, it doesn't really mean that the top is sanctified. Rav stands his ground. What he started off by saying at the end of yesterday's daf that the rooftops and the upper chambers in the azara or of Yerushalayim were not sanctified. Of course, with the exception of the heichal, because that was from God. God said the heichal is entirely kodesh. Fine. But what do you do with this price that it says Vigago Kodesh? The other things we said, okay, the Gago Kodesh, when they're even with the ground of the Azara and they're opening up into the Azara. But here he says the rooftop is Kodesh. On the other hand, it says you can't eat there. So what's going on? It means not really that it's Kodesh, that, that it's sanctified like with the Kedusha of the Azara, but rather that it's a place that we store holy things there. What do we mean by that? Laosin Beis Amos, the two uh, measuring rods, they had Amma measures. An Amma is six um, fists, right? So an Amma... Um, so that was um, Moshe's Amma was was exactly six fists, but they added on two more. They added on two different measures that were slightly larger. The Tanan, there were two Amos there, two measures ruling ru- like rulers in Shushanabira. What do you mean by Shushanabira? There was a, a tower at the at the at the front of the base of Migdosh of the Heichal on top on the upper chamber. They had like a um, a, a picture or a uh, yes, it's a picture an engraving. Of Shushanabira that they should remember where they came from, you know, where they had been in Golis. So in this in there, Achas, and in there they stored on top there, they stored Al Karim Mizrachasmonis, they stored they stored one measuring rod in the on the uh, northeast corner, and they stored another measuring rod on the southeast corner. Zushal the measuring rod that was on the northeast corner, I used was only a half a finger. I mean, a very, very small amount. Remember, an amo is six fists, right? Which is like four fingers. And and this whole, that measuring rod was only half a finger larger than Moshe's. We'll see why. And the one in the southeast corner, on the, on the um, 
Right. One was in the, what do you say? One was in the, uh, uh, one was in the northeast corner and one was in the southeast corner. So the one on the southeast corner, was a half a finger larger than that first one, which which means it's a full finger breadth larger than Moshe's. Why do they need bigger ones and smaller ones? That the craftsmen, the artisans who were employed by the base Amigdash to build things for Kochim, for Kochim, and they would take either either via money or via materials, they would take by the smaller measure, by Moshe's measure, and return by the larger measure. In other words, they'd always give a little bit extra to make sure that they didn't cheat. By mistake, of course, they didn't want to commit me'ilah, they shouldn't come to sacrilege. In other words, let's say they gave them uh, a, a sack of cement, you know, exactly a five kilo sack of cement uh, to build uh, something with. And they returned it, it was actually less, a little bit less than five kilos, because in the working process, something got lost, right? There's always waste. Then they could be considered sacrilege because they didn't, they took more from Hegdish than they returned to Hegdish. So they always gave it by a little bit of a bigger measure. Here we're talking about linear measure. So they always made them larger so that, so to speak, they contributed from their own so that they make sure that they weren't, uh, didn't commit sacrilege. So Vatatul, I mean, so why did you have two? Just have one, one bigger than Mo, you, instead of using Moshe's standard. Uh, measuring ama, so use one that's a little bit bigger. Why did you have one that's a half a finger bigger and one that's a full finger bigger? One for silver and gold. Obviously, silver and gold is expensive, and they did a lot of work to craft some silver and gold. That only had to be a little bit bigger because of its expense, obviously, and because it was small. You worked with smaller amounts. One for construction, when you talk about cement, that was a much larger. That was the one that was a full finger larger. Tanan, back to our issue. Uh, again, Rav said that the rooftops and the upper chambers of the Azara and Yerushalayim were not sanctified. Tonight, what about the Mishnah? The last words in our Mishnah was on yesterday's, and yesterday's Mishnah on was Hachalonos, the windows in the walls, in the thickness of the wall, Kalifnim is considered like inside. That means like inside the Azar, inside your Shalayim, meaning it has that sanctification. So Mishlam Achalonos, I can understand where does Mishkach Shalad Lakarka Azara. That could be even. In other words, windows, we're talking about really, what are windows? Not like we have windows today, glass windows, Anderson windows, all kinds of windows. We're talking about holes in the wall. Those are windows, right? So those could be at a lower level, like even with the, even with the ground of the Azara. Ela Ove Achoma, but the thickness of the walls what do you mean thickness of the walls? You're talking about as the walls rise up and they're high up, and therefore we're talking about like the equivalent of the rooftops or the upper chambers. And it's mashma, those are considered like the like inside, like inside the Yushlaim or inside the Azara. So isn't that a problem for Rav? Because here it's mashma that they, that the walls themselves, the thickness of the walls, even up up above, are considered holy, sanctified. The lower wall, they had two walls, it says, and it was made to, to mourn uh, like the ramparts and the walls, meaning they would have a large wall and they would have a small wall next to it. That's how they made the construction. Rashi says right before the mission in the wide lines, they had a small wall, uh, right inside the large wall, the shovel of karka, uh, and it was even with the ground of the azara, because the uh, azara, gova azara, shakarka azara, holof begavara, baola bamaus. In other words, let's say there was a wall around the azara or a wall around 
uh, Yerushalayim, either way, whichever sanctification we're speaking about, there was a big wall, and then there was a smaller wall right inside that. That's how they did the construction. That the top of that small wall was even with the floor of the Azara because the wall obviously was off the ground, but the Azara was higher up. The ground w- w- was at an incline as it went up a mountain. So therefore, the floor of the Azara was even with that lower wall, and that's what we're speaking about here, and Rav stands his ground. Says the Mishnah, there's two psukim specifically that we're dealing with now in the Parsha of Karben Pesach. One Pasuk says, in Parakid base, Pasuk Zion says, Alabotem asheyochlu osombahem. In the houses in which they will eat. Mashmah, they could eat in multiple houses. That one carbon Pesach can be eaten in multiple houses. And then Pasuk later, in Pasuk Mvav, in the same Parak says, Babayis echad yeochel. It shall be eaten in one house. So do these things seem to con- contradictory? It says, Alabotem asheyochlu osombahem. Can be eaten in multiple houses. And then it says, will be eaten in one house. So how do we resolve that? So there's two ways to learn. Our Mishnah is the sheet of Rabbi Yudah, which will be explained more in the Gemara, but he means like this. It says like this, you could have one carbon Pesach could be eaten by two different Chaburas. In other words, let's say Chabura A had 10 guys are going to eat this half of the, of the Pesach, and Chabura B and other 10 guys are going to eat the other half. So you could have two different Chaburas in one house. They're eaten in one house. The truth is, they could eat in two houses. Because he darshans the first, the, the first pasuk of you can eat it in multiple houses. In other words, you could take one carbon Pesach and eat in two different houses. House A and House B. Two different kaburas, two different houses. Let's say, though, they ate it in one house. In other words, since they're two different kaburas, they don't have to eat together. They don't have this our rations. They don't have to face one another. Why? Because you could have two different kabur- two different kaburas can take part in the same carbon pesach, and they could eat in two different places. Obviously, they have to eat in Rishonim, but they could eat in two different places. If they're in the same house, they don't have to face one another. They could be in like two different rooms, not facing. One. They could each turn around, turn away from one another. Why? Because he says he looks at this pesach of that you could eat in multiple houses. And, and as such, one urn, a kettle of hot water, they used to serve, people would, uh, they would warm up the uh, wine with hot water, so they, that could be in the middle, in other words, they could serve both sides, not a problem, it's like two different groups. When the shamas, when let's call them the waiter, when the, sham, when the waiter is serving and, and standing up to, to, uh, to uh, mix wine for, let's say, group number B, and he also had to be eating himself. We're talking about a Jewish waiter. So let's say he was eating with group number A. So he has to make sure, though, that he doesn't eat with different groups. In other words, this, this is the sheet of Rabbi we'll see in the Gemara, that says that you can have two different groups. On one carbon Pesach can be divided up into two different groups. Multiple, when I say two, it means multiple, multiple groups in different homes if they want. What about That's each individual Jew. He says he darshans that is vaisachad yochal, but each Jew can only eat in one spot. That's how he learns the pasuk. We'll see in a, a reverse opinion also. The vaisachad yeochel, he learns that as vaisachad yochal. So this waiter who started eating with group number A, when he's serving number B, kofits his piv, he's got to shut his mouth to master his panav and turns his face around. In other words, as he's serving them, he has to show everybody that he's not eating with them. He's serving them, you know, with one eye while his face is turned towards his first group to make sure they shouldn't suspect him of eating in two different groups. 
That's until he comes back to his own chabura, to group A. And eats there. In other words, again, this Mishnah goes like Rabbi Yudah, who says that one Pesach can be eaten in different groups in different homes, but one person cannot eat in two different places. What about Akala? Akala, she just got married, right? She's embarrassed. She's sitting there. Usually women sit in one place, men sit in another. We have a proper mechitza, but the kala sitting with the chassan at the head table there, and she's embarrassed to eat. She knows everybody's looking at her. She, even though she's eating with this group, as we've said before, women have to eat the carbon Pesach too. They're chayim carbon Pesach, right? So uh, she has to eat, but she doesn't have to eat facing the group, the chabura. She could turn around because she's embarrassed. Ratosa says in Amit Beis that even if she started eating facing the group, if she's embarrassed to eat, she can turn her face around too, even though normally you shouldn't be, it shouldn't, you shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't appear that you're eating with two different groups. You should all eat facing one another. But Akala is allowed to do that, right? In fact, because she's shy and she's embarrassed, so she's allowed to turn her face, even if she started eating in uh, facing the group, she could turn around. Or the Chiddush is, is that uh, uh, she's she's mechuyiv too, because of uh, a woman should be uh, should uh, should act modestly, and she should turn around, and it's okay for her, but not for anybody else. Anybody else has to, if you're in a Chabura, you can only eat in that spot facing everybody else. But again, that's our Rabbi Yudah. And so Masnison says the Gemara, Masnison Rabbi Yudah, Mishnah goes like Rabbi Yudah, who says what, the Tanya, Alabotam HaShayochlosamem, that first Pasuk that I quoted, Alabatim can be eaten in one Pesach, that carbon Pesach can be eaten Alabatim in multiple houses, meaning multiple groups. I might think an individual person, could eat in two different places. No, it means like it's as if, again, as we'll see, he darshans is as if it says, one person can only eat in one place. The Hashamas. The shamash, the the uh, the servant, the attendant, the uh, the waiter here. Shachol, because tanur. Let's say the shamash started eating. You know, he was he was in the kitchen and he started eating next to the oven. There, he started eating something. Eat pikech if he's wise. Mamali kresim, he's going to eat up there because he can't move into another room. If he's eating in one spot, you can't change your spot. If they want to be nice to him, if he started eating already, and they say, oh, he's stuck in there because he started eating in the kitchen, they can sit in his side. That's all Rabbi Yudah who says, again, that one pesach can be eaten in two places, but one person cannot eat in two places. Rabbi Shimon says just the opposite. He means that what? That yochel meaning on um, multiple people. Multiple people can eat in different homes. They can eat in different spots. A person could eat his carbon pesach. He had to be a manui, of course. He had to eat with a chabura. But if he takes it and eats it in another place, that's okay. He can do that. I might think also that the carbon pesach could be eaten two chabura. Says more no. Rabbi Shimon says no. Each carbon pesach has to be eaten in one chabura, in one group. You can't have multiple groups. The carbon pesach is beaten. Now, one one individual person in that group, he could take his food and then he could eat somewhere else, right? But he can't he can't split the carbon pesach itself. The carbon pesach itself has to be started off all in one group. If one of those people or several of those people take their, some of their food and eat afterwards somewhere else, that's okay according to Rabbi Shimon. Again, what is the key when we have a kri and a ksiv? Right, the pesach it says. It says Yochal, uh, he but the, the 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 way it's written is uh, the, the traditional Masoris means the tradition that we have is look at the words the word says Yochal he will eat okay Baisecha Yochal 
Do you say, no, each person can only eat in one spot? That's how Rabbi Yudah learns. Yochal. Rabbi Shimon says, Yeshel Mikkin, the way we read it is, Ba'i Sechad Yeochel, will be eaten. So he says that what, Rabbi Shimon says, that's going on the animal, the Pesach, the carbon Pesach, it will be eaten in one spot, meaning you can't split it into different Chaburas. Ah, then, and Rabbi Shimon says, when it says Yochlu, that's going on and on several individuals in the Chaburah, they could eat it, Alabatim, they can go to different spots. So therefore, based on this, Rashi goes into an interesting idea. What does yes, Masoros mean? Masoros means the, the tradition, the way, it's, the way Hashem told Moshe to write it. So it's written as Yochal, but we read it as Yeochel. He says an interesting, that, that some saw, he saw a pshat that it was the other way. He rejects the pshat, but he says that the Masoros is the Masoros of Uncle Sager. Because Uncle Sager says, in one Chabura. In other words, you could only eat it in, in one Chabura, in one house, so to speak, one Chabura in one house. And, and, and therefore, uh, when we say that Rabbi Yudasav Yeshem he's really saying the other way, that he's saying that, that, that he's learning it, that uh, it's, it's reversed, the Shittas are reversed. Chilaf Rabbi Yudasav Yeshem Lamikra, not in two spots, right? And he says that. Uh, and Reb Shimon says So he says that Reb, that Reb Shimon is the one who says Yeshem So he had a different girsa, but he rejects that girsa for several reasons. Anyway, the Gemara goes on in the fourth line. Ha now, according to this machlokus between Reb Shimon and Yudah, who really learned the reverse, according to Reb Yudah, you could eat in several chaburas, but each individual person can only eat it in one spot. And Reb Shimon says the other way around. So let's say Ha Let's say we're all sitting and eating v'nifrasim mechitz b'neim. And what happened was that um, while they were eating, right, a mechitza was set up right between them, right? Somebody uh, moved over a mechitza in the middle. They were sitting in the middle of a mechitza. There's a mechitza, and it made it like into two chaburas, right? So that's what I'm saying. According to Rabbi says you could be eaten two chaburas. So, so what? So they started in one chabur, it could be eaten in two chaburas, not a problem. But, and, and you can continue eating. What about the person being in a different spot? But he's not seeing any space that he didn't see before. He's still in the same. He's still in the same chair. But somebody put a mechitza there. He's in the same spot, so he didn't move. He can eat. But according to Rav Shimon, who says he can't eat in two different chaburas, because now it's two chaburas. It's not one. The other way around. Let's say he was sitting. There was a mechitza there, and the mechitza was removed. If you say you could eat in two different places, according to Rav Shimon. You could eat, because this is a different place, because now, before you had an area of two by two, now you have an area of eight by eight, because they took away the mechitza. You're seeing different spots. That's a different spot. So, you wouldn't be able to eat under those circumstances. That's what the Gemara says, that as a definite thing. Rav Khan explained things this way. How do you explain it that way? How are you so sure? Why don't you ask? Siluk mechitza, removing the mechitza, or asiyas mechitza, or or um, uh, or making the mechitza, right? Building the mechitza, right? Setting it up. Is that like two different spots and two different places and two different chaburas? In other words, why are you so sure that removing mechitza? You said uh, according to Rabbi Yehuda, where you first put up a mechitza in between, it's not a problem because you're looking at the same spot and you could have two different chaburas. 
How do you know? Is that making it too, is just putting up a mechitza like two chaburas? And is it like it's you're still in the same spot? Or removing it is like you're in a new spot? It's like you moved to a different house? Are you so sure about that? I think it's a question taken when I'm not sure what the answer is. That's what Ravashi said to Rav Kana, don't be so sure about that. As we clearly have machlokas for Yudah and Rav Shimon, but how you would apply it in the case of just somebody setting up a mechitza or removing a mechitza in the middle of the house, not so clear. So we said at the end of the Mishnah, that uh, even though normally a group, right, within a group, you're supposed to eat within your group. Uh, now you can, according to beauty, you could take your food. Well, if you started off in your group, you could take some of your food and eat it elsewhere. But the group has to be in a group. So what about a kala? Kala, though, she could turn around, even though a waiter or somebody else is not supposed to turn their face around. They're supposed to eat together in the group facing them, right? But, uh, but a kala is allowed to. In fact, it's, it's, it, she should, according to Amshat and Rashi. She's supposed to. My time, what's the reason? She's uh, shy. She's embarrassed. She's eating in front of people. So therefore, we allow her to be an exceptional case. Uh, she's eating in front of people. They're looking at her. Everybody's staring at the kala, of course. So, uh, so therefore, she's allowed to turn her face. Now we tell you a story. Rafuna Bered Rav Nassim. That was his name. Rafuna, the son of Rav Nassim. He went to the house or the yeshiva of Nachman Bar Yitzchik. He told him, what's your name? What's your name? Amalei, Amalehu Rav Huna. Now, you know, many times people say, uh, what's my name? They ask a big rabbi, what's your name? Let's say his name is uh, Rav Meir. So he says, my name is Meir. He doesn't say Rav Meir, right? It sounds a little bit, uh, a little bit arrogant to say, to use the word Rav, right? So, um, so uh, but in this case, he said, Rav Huna, that's my name. He said, Rav Huna. And that seemed to them that it was arrogant, right? But uh, we'll see that... Um, that uh, he, he, there was a discussion about this afterwards. So he said, "What they said? What's your name?" He says, "Rav Huna." Please sit down on the bed here on the couch. Have a seat. Yosef, he sat down. He didn't say, "Oh, I don't need to." In other words, again, the the honored people, the rabbanim, were were allowed were were honored by. They told him sit on the bed, sit on the couches. Uh, the students sat on the stools or on the benches or on the ground. They didn't sit on a, on a fancy couch. He sat on the couch as he was told to do. Yav like they gave him a cup of wine. Kibble he accepted right away with his up. He didn't say, no, I don't want any. He said, right away, thank you very much, I accepted it. But Shossi betrays him, and he drank it in two shots. In other words, he didn't drink it, like, in one shot, and he didn't drink it in five or six shots. He drank it in two shots. Below Aharape, and he didn't turn his face around. In other words, he ate right in front of them. He didn't say, you know, he didn't turn on the side. He ate right in front of them. Amulei, so they asked him all these questions that seemed like these are all in Yonam of Derecheretz, uh, what, what, what's with you? My time across the call, Rav Huna, why'd you call yourself Rav Huna? We didn't know who you are, you call yourself Rav Huna. That's my name, that's, my name is Rav Huna, that's not as a rabbi, that's what they called me, Rashi says, in the, um, in the, uh, before, right before the, um, or actually, uh, right, uh, in the first of the wide lines, at the end of the first of the wide lines of Rashi, they always called me that. And was, even as a child, they called me Rav Huna. They, that was my name. It's not that I'm a rabbi. It's my time when they offer you to sit on the bed. Yasus, why did you sit there? Why did you accept the honor of sitting on the bed? It's a mission in in Brisa uh, in Masechtas Derecheretz, famous thing, say whatever the, whatever the Balabais tells you to do, you listen to him, unless it's something embarrassing or something inappropriate. That's what they put in Chutzmit, say he's not really in the Brisa, all kinds of shatim about that. Uh, that you know, if he tells you to go out shopping or tell you to do something and you don't, you're not familiar with the area, fine. But basically, the Balabais told me to sit down. I sat down. 
When we offered you a cup to drink, you accepted it right away. You didn't say, no, I don't want it. Thank you very much. You know, why did you accept it? You refuse a cotton. Somebody smaller than you, somebody small, you refuse them to tell them no. They must have the guttle, but you don't refuse a guttle. A guttle. Rashi says, we learn it from the Malachim. When they visited uh, Avram Avinu, and he said, please come in, sit down, etc., etc. They said, we'll do as you said. When he came and visited Lot, and he said, he wanted to bring him in, he said, no, 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 we don't want to come in, we'll stay outside, right? He refused. So, to a guttle, you, you, I'm, I'm a cotton. And you told me this to, uh, to, you offered me something. I didn't want to say no. My Thomas she said, betrays him. Why'd you drink it in two shots? I'm a little, if you drink your cup of asachas in one shot, you're a glutton. Oh, you wolf it all down in one gulp. That's considered impolite. Shnayim, if you do it in two shots, you drink half and then a half. That's their herds. That's the proper way to do it. That's proper etiquette. Shlosha, if you drink it in three, one, two, three, like you're doing it real slowly, that's considered already arrogant. So he answered all these questions. My time Why didn't you turn around your face? You ate right and you drank right in front of us. You weren't even embarrassed. We learned a mission that a kala is supposed to. It's mashma that men don't have to. Only a kala is supposed to. A woman, a man, it's not, it's not, not proper etiquette for him to turn his face around. Only a, a, a kala is allowed to in the case of the Kavim Pesach, even though normally they weren't allowed to because of Chabura, because of her embarrassment. She's allowed to or she should. But but uh, men men aren't. It's not their chutz for men to turn around. A similar story. Rabbi Shmuel Barbiosi Iklu Bay Rav Shimon Barbiosi Barbiosi Ben Lakunya. This Rabbi Shmuel visited the house of Rav Shimon Barbiosi Ben Lakunya. Yavlekasa they they offered him a cup. He also accepted it in one shot. He didn't refuse it first. Vishasi b'chazim and he drank it. He gulped it. He he gulped it all down in one shot. Amrle said, Lo don't you hold to this idea that Ashosa Kosovasakhis, you drink it in one shot, Hareza Gargran. That's what the Bryce the Mishra says. The Bryce says that if you drink in one shot, uh, you're considered a glutton. Amalu, Lo Army, they didn't say it because of cotton. They never said that by a small uh, a small cup, like a like a shot of whiskey, right? It was it's very common. Take a shot of whiskey and you and you and maybe that's why it's called a shot. You shoot it all down in one shot, you know. It's a small thing. You wouldn't drink a whole you know, you wouldn't go, uh, you know, a whole big uh, mug, you wouldn't drink in one shot. It says that they didn't say that by a small cup, and by small, and when your wine is very sweet, you gave me a sweet, small drink, and I'm a big guy, I'm a big guy, I got a big stomach, you know, by a, a man of my stature, and a very small, cup, very small, sweet cup, that's where it wasn't said. It was said under regular circumstances, not these circumstances. The Gemara ends off with some more etiquette. Rashi learns we're not Tosis like talking about carbon Pesach. Tosis brings out Rabbi Chanal that it is speaking about carbon Pesach, but the etiquette of, of a group. You have a group of people, let's say they went to make the carbon Pesach, and now it's time to eat. They hired the, uh, the waiter to serve them. So In other words, let's say they all didn't show up yet. There were, let's say 10 guys were supposed to be there, and only three showed up. But if three showed up ready, the waiter has to start serving. Right? They could say, if one showed up or two showed up, no. But if three showed up, he's got to, well, if they, once they started eating, he has to continue serving them, even if the other guys left one at a time, and there's only one of the others, even one person, meaning, can leave, even though Rashi says, it's, Rashi says, even though it's difficult for the waiter, they can leave one at a time. But if there's three people, he has to start serving them. That's how Rashi learns. Amarabah, now, Tosis learns to speak about the carbon Pesach. In other words, Rashi learns it's in general. When it comes to food, and you have a party of 10 people, and uh, the, other, the other guys didn't show up yet, but if three started out, 
then you could you should start serving. And they don't all stay. You can keep serving even you know even if they leave one at a time. They eat at different uh, they eat at different intervals or uh, at different speeds. Whatever they have different ways of eating. He has to continue. That's only if they come in at the time that it's normal for to eat. In other words, dinner time is six o'clock. If these guys showed up at five o'clock, he doesn't have to start serving because if he starts at five and the other guys come in much later. In other words, what's considered normal serving? He was hired to serve dinner. So if they came in at the normal dinner time, fine. But who the ruggish badala? And it's also Rashi learns that the they made it known to him that they're going to be leaving one at a time, right? He doesn't want to have to serve. It's harder for him to serve one at a time. If they're all ten. You bring out a big platter, and it goes much quicker, right? But he says if three of them, as long as three people showed up, he has to start serving if it's the normal time for eating, and they can leave one at a time, and he would have to continue serving the ones who remain, even though there's only one or two, as long as they told him that in advance. These last guys should also pay a tip, right? Because he's still serving them like one or two at a time. But the last guy or the last two, Lahosif Dumim, they he even have to ask a bigger tip because he's like the last guy. The last guy should even add on a tip because he's serving But the loch is not like him. Tipping is optional. Not like they do in some restaurants now in a, that they, they make it automatic, you know, part of the uh Part of the bill, like you don't have an option about that. Here he says the extra tipping is optional. So this is a, this is how Rashi learns. We're speaking about Chaburah Pesach, and some of the guys came and they uh, uh, and, and he went to look for the rest of them, where the rest of the guys, and he couldn't find them. But if three showed up, he has to start serving them. He doesn't have to wait. They don't have to wait for the other ones, but less not. But if they all gathered in this hour, Rabbi Nachman but if they all came and then they started leaving, you know, they started and then he started leaving one and he didn't even start, they didn't start eating yet. And he starts looking for them. And then even if one stayed, he can start, he should start serving them. Even if the other guys left, because you know, they, they went out for a break or whatever, they went out for a drink first or whatever, and they didn't show up. So different ways to learn, but this is all the etiquette of what the proper etiquette was when a, when a waiter was hired. According to Rashi, not just Afka for Pesach, even in general, according to Rabbi Nechanan, bring that's brought down by Tosas. It's Rabbi Nechanan on Argomar also. We have Rabbi Nechanan at the bottom there also that we're speaking about only Dafka for the carbon Pesach. All right, tomorrow, Mitzvah, we'll start the new parak, um, a very long daf, mostly Agadita. Have a good day, everybody. Sky, sky, beautiful, thank you.